She'd shake her head no. And then you'd have to pry the cup out of her hand, you know, peeling off every single finger until she would finally give you the cup. And she would cry and cry and cry, and then lo and behold, we fill the cup with milk and we give it right back, and she'd be happy more than when she started, and she'd be happy. You know, I think this is how often we can be uh, in the Christian life, right? We, we know, we just read those verses. Seek first his kingdom, and he will give you everything you need. But we don't like to give up our plans. We don't like to give up our kingdom. You know, we know that Christ is going to give us even more if we would just hand it over. But like Olive, we'll cling to that cup, and sometimes Christ will have to pry each finger off of it till we finally give it to him. But then what do we find? Lo and behold, we get back more than we ever would have had had we clung to our own plans. You know, when you give up your dreams and desires for Christ, you can count on his provision. It's true. Seek first his kingdom and all these things, everything that you need and more will be given to you. If you remember back to just one chapter ago, Ruth chapter 1, Naomi and Ruth both lost everything. Naomi lost her husband and her children. Ruth lost her husband. They had to give up everything on their journey. God was taking things away. And we saw in chapter 1 that when tragedy strikes like that, you have a choice. You can turn to God in others, or you can turn away from God in others. Or to put it a different way, you can ask the question this way. What, what they were facing was this. Whose dreams do you really want? Do you want your dream and your plan for your life? Or do you want God's plan for your life? And we know that if we choose God's plan, if we seek first his kingdom, all these things will be added to us and more. And yet sometimes it's hard to give up our dreams and our plans in our life. Naomi was clinging to her dreams and it led to bitterness. Ruth gave up her dreams and ultimately it leads to Jesus Christ coming into the world. And so now there is a fear that's associated with giving up control of your life, right? The thought is, if I give up control of my life, how am I going to make sure that I have everything I need? Who's going to meet my needs if I give up control to God? Of course, the wonderful answer to that question is God. God promises to meet every single need that you have if you seek first his kingdom. And so let's look at Ruth chapter 2, because that's exactly what happens. Ruth gives up her dream. She gives up what she wanted for her life. She submits to what God has for her, and she finds that God provides beyond her wildest dreams. So first, count on God using your broken dreams to provide. Look at verse 1. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. 
So the first thing we see in these verses is that God has glorious plans and abundant provision. Again, we know what's happening. We know where the story is going, that David's coming from Ruth's decision to cling to Naomi. And we see that plan starting to unfold. In verse 1, it says that Naomi has this relative named Boaz. This is just the narrator of the story telling us something ahead of time. We get to find out before Ruth does that there's a man named Boaz, and he's of the family of Elimelech. In verse 1, he says it twice. In verse 3, he says it again. Three times, hey, guess what? Naomi has a relative, and all of these things can be fixed. And the reason that's important is because there's a gap in the family tree, right? Now, we know, you know, we see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. We know eventually it's going to go down David, Solomon, all the way to Jesus Christ. But how are we going to get from one point to another? Because Elimelech's gone. His sons are gone. There's no hope of this family line continuing until we read verse 1. There is a hope. There's a man named Boaz who is a kinsman. But in verse 2, we're reminded of the great need that Ruth and Naomi have. How is Ruth described again in verse 2? Ruth the Moabitess. What he just said, just a few verses earlier than that. Now, why does he keep saying that? It's to highlight that she's in a very vulnerable position. She's a foreigner. She's a widow. She has no one to take care of her. She's completely dependent on God to meet her needs. She's childless. She's poor. She doesn't know anyone. She has no resources. And so what does she do? She goes out to the field to try to glean. Now, what is all this about? Why is she gleaning in the field? Well, look at Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. So this is a law that God put in place in Leviticus. Verse 9 says, Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord. So what did God want? God didn't want his people to be greedy. He wanted his people to be generous. He's saying when you go out and you glean and you start harvesting everything, there's going to be stuff that falls on the ground. Just leave it. Leave it there. You don't need every last ounce of it. Leave it for someone else who has a greater need than you. If fruit falls on the ground while you're picking it, leave it there. I want my people to be known as generous people. So I think that applies to us. You know, so if you go to Apple Hill you know, this fall and you find fruit on the ground, you can just eat it, right? And if anyone stops you, you just say, look at Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. I'm allowed to eat this. I can do whatever with, with whatever's on the ground. Deuteronomy 24, 19 says this, if you forget an entire bundle, so let's say you're harvesting everything, you bundle it all up, and you forget there's an entire bundle in the field, it says don't go back for it. Leave it for the alien, the orphan, and the widow, that the Lord may bless you. God loves to provide for people that are in desperate situations. And so this is what Ruth is doing. She's going out there, she's in this desperate situation, she's dependent on scraps that are just left in the field. By the way, when is this story happening? 
in the time of Judges? How many people do you think in the time of Judges are concerned about following the law of Leviticus 19? Coming out of a famine, how many people do you think are comfortable just leaving food out in the open so that other people can enjoy it? Nobody. Right? Everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. Ruth and Naomi are in an incredibly vulnerable position. And God might have you in a very vulnerable position. Maybe a husband left, and you have to raise your kids on your own. Maybe your coming to Christ caused conflict with your family, and no one wants to talk to you anymore. But God knows how to care for you even when you're in a vulnerable situation. Maybe especially when you're in a vulnerable situation. He'll make sure that you have everything that you need. So God has great, abundant provision. You have great need. And the place where your need and God's glorious plans and provision meet is when you give up your dreams and you seek his kingdom. Look at verse 3, back in Ruth chapter 2. It says, So she departed and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. I love what it says. It just says, she happened to come. Oh, what good luck that of all the fields that she could go to in the entire land, she just happened to come along the field of Boaz. She didn't know that, right? She just went out looking for a field. I'm going to go glean. I'm going to find a field. And the first one I see, I'm just going to go do it. And what happens? She happens to come to the very relative of Naomi and starts gleaning in his field. Right? There's nothing chance about it. Right? This is the author's way of sort of winking at us. Like, do you see what's happening? Like, she's desperate. She's cast all her cares on God, and God is meeting her needs. You know, it's like God up in heaven saying, like, hey, what she doesn't know is that she's going to go and find herself in the field of the one who's not only going to provide for her everything she needs materially, who's also going to be an heir, provide an heir for Naomi. I mean, you think about it, when difficult things happen in your life, think of it that way. I mean, you might have the, your dream job, and then all of a sudden you lose it. And you might think, well, what is God doing? You can think of it this way. God is in heaven saying, what he doesn't know is that I actually have a better job lined up. I have a job that'll pay more, that'll give benefits, and that he'll be used to save three of his co-workers, you know, by sharing the gospel with them. That's how we should think about our trials. Like God's using them for good purposes. That's what's going on right here. It's the third time that the author's reminding us that Boaz is a family member. God knows what he's doing. He's arranged this whole situation. When you give up your dreams for his purposes, God knows how to direct and provide for you. He knows how it'll just so happen that you go exactly where you need to go that you meet exactly who you need to meet. It'll seem like chance, but it's not chance at all. He directs your steps. So seek first his kingdom. And trust that the trials that you're in are actually part of how he's providing for you. What does that mean? It means that your broken dreams, they're not a hindrance to you serving Christ. Many times it's the very way that he wants you to serve Christ is through the trials and the difficulties that you're in. When you lose your job, it's not an accident. You know, sometimes you have ministry plans and you get a family member that's sick and you need to care for them. And you might think, well, that's going to hinder my ministry. It's like, no, 
That's exactly what God wants you doing in that moment. That is your ministry. And that God can accomplish amazing things even when it's not according to the plans that we have. Ruth's vulnerability in this situation was not a hindrance to God using her. It was actually the means that God would use to use her in a great way to bring about Christ. You know, your trials, your broken dreams, they're not making you less effective for Christ. They're actually the very way that God wants to make you effective for Christ. Secondly, count on God providing as you work with diligence. We're going to see several attitudes here. We have Boaz and Ruth. Attitudes of those that seek God's purposes, that seek first his kingdom. First we meet Boaz. Look at verses 4 to 5. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, Who is in charge of the reapers? Whose young woman is this? So we see several things about Boaz. First, he's generous and he's concerned. So he's generous, right? He greets the people, may the Lord be with you. These are the first words that Boaz says in the book of Ruth. And many times the author will use their, the first words of a character to sort of sum up what they're all about. So what's Boaz all about? May the Lord bless you. He wants to be an avenue of blessing to everyone that he sees. And we see that that's true because what did his workers say back to him? May the Lord bless you. People have experienced the Lord's blessing through Boaz. That's his character. That's who he is. He's someone that blesses people that come into contact with him. So he's very generous. He's also concerned. He sees Ruth and he asks, whose young woman is this? Which is an interesting question, right? Not who is this, but whose young woman is this? The assumption being, like, well, where's her husband? Why is she gleaning in the fields? Or where's her father? Why is she by herself? And so he's concerned for her. And then God provides this rich, generous, godly relative for Ruth. And then Ruth's response, or you get this people describing Ruth in verses 6 and 7. Says the servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from morning until now. She's only been sitting in the house for a little while. So we see several things about Ruth. Ruth is sacrificial, right? Again, we have the reminder she's a young Moabite woman. Each one of those words signifies Ruth's sacrificial service to Naomi. She's young, right? She, had, she could have a regular future. She could have gone back home. She's a Moabite. She's not where she's supposed to be. She's back in Judah with Naomi. And she's a woman by herself. Every single word signifies that she's making a great sacrifice to care for Naomi. She returned with Naomi, right? She's attached herself to this widow who has no hope of providing for her. And she's from the land of Moab again. She's left her home. So she's incredibly sacrificial. Then we see that she's very humble. She said to the servants, please let me glean. She doesn't demand or assume certain treatment. Even though the law says you have to let me glean, she doesn't do, she doesn't demand that. She simply says, please, please let me glean. 
And I think sometimes when we're in the midst of trials, we need to make sure that we're not demanding certain treatment. I think sometimes it's like when life is hard, we feel like, well, why isn't anyone caring for me? Why aren't people meeting my needs? Why aren't people bringing me meals? Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with asking for help. You should ask for help when you're in the midst of a trial, but you shouldn't demand it. And we see that with Ruth. She doesn't demand this kind of treatment. She simply asks the question, can I please glean? And the servants let her because they know Boaz is a generous person. So she's humble, she's sacrificial, and then she's incredibly diligent, right? She's been serving from the very morning until this time. She only sat down for a minute in the house. She's been working as soon as she got there until this point. You know, in some ways, this chapter, really the book of Ruth is kind of a, a corrective against the idea of let go and let God, right? There's no letting go and just sitting around like, God, you're going to provide for me, so let's see it. No, it's I'm going to trust that you're going to provide through working diligently. Working diligently is not, believe, you know, not, not believing that God provides. Working diligently is the way that you trust that God will provide. And that's exactly what Ruth does. And so when we're in the midst of situations like that, we need to know that the Lord will richly reward your diligence for Christ. So how does God respond to Ruth's sacrificial service for the sake of others? We'll look at verses 8 and 9. Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go right after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. I mean, God richly provides through Boaz. Right? Boaz says, don't go to another field. You stay right here. He's concerned about her. He wants to protect her. Don't go somewhere else where you don't know who those people are. You stay right here. You go and you watch. Watch as soon as my maids go and they start reaping. And you follow right after them and make sure that you get everything right after them. Right? Follow right in their footsteps. He wants to make sure that she gets as much as possible. Then he offers her water as well. If you need water, anything you need, you just come and get it. Right? You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to ask for it. You just go. I'm going to treat you like I would treat anyone that I care for. And so she gets tremendously generous treatment. You know, she's going out hoping for, like, scraps, right? And she finds this guy who basically says, you know, like, take anything that you need. Anything and more, right? It's like going to the grocery store. You're hoping that you have enough money to just sort of buy one meal. And the manager finds you and he says, hey, you know, guess what? I see that you're in great need. Take the shopping cart, fill it all up with whatever you want, and you can have it all. In fact, you don't even, I don't even want you to push the shopping cart. Let me get one of those bag boys to come over here. He'll push the shopping cart. You just point and you tell him what you want. I'll put it in there. And while you're doing that, I'm going to wash your car, and I'm going to fill it with gas just to make sure that everything that you need, you're going to get it. That's the kind of treatment that Ruth is receiving from Boaz. This is God's provision for those that have given up their dreams for Christ. Now, why would Boaz do that? Well, that's the very same question that Ruth has. Look at verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight, that you should take notice of me? 
since I am a foreigner. Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Again, Ruth doesn't know, why, why would you do this? I'm a foreigner. You don't, you don't have any reason to treat me like this. He says, I'll tell you why I'm treating you like this. In fact, he gives seven reasons in one verse. Why am I treating you like this? Because I've heard of all you've done. For your mother-in-law, right? Not your mom, but for your mother-in-law. When did you do it? After the death of your husband. Your husband just died, and you committed to taking care of your mother-in-law. You left your father and your mother. You left the land of your birth. You came to a different land, and it's a land where you didn't know anyone. Boaz looks at Ruth and basically says, why did I do it? Because you're amazing. Like, who does that? Who cares for people that way? Who would let go of everything and cling to their mother-in-law who can provide nothing for them? That's why I did it. Because you've made an amazing sacrifice. I wish there was more I could do. In fact, let me pray and ask God that he would richly bless you and that he would take care of you even beyond what I can do. May the Lord reward your work. May your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel. Boaz wants to do everything possible to just bless Ruth. I mean, anything that I can do, I want to do it. Anything God can do, I want God to do it. Because you are this amazing picture of God-like love, Christ-like love. And then he says this, he says, Under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Which is just such a beautiful picture of protection and provision. You know, when Ruth decided to return with Naomi, she was tr fully trusting that the Lord has to meet all of our needs. There's no other way that we're going to be able to survive. I'm casting everything on the Lord. I'm coming under his wings, and I'm trusting that he's going to be the one that's going to meet all of our needs. And we see that he's already doing it through Boaz. She gave up her God. She gave up her family. She gave up seeking another husband. You know, when you give up all other hopes of protection and provision and trust only the Lord, you find that he always provides everything that you need and more. You know, when you leave a lucrative career to serve in full-time ministry, he'll provide for you. You know, when you want to say no to a job that might take you away from church and family and ministry, he'll provide for you. When you determine to trust the Lord for provision and not a relationship you know you shouldn't be in, he will provide for you. You can always trust him. If you seek first his kingdom, he will always provide, abundantly provide, even more than you need. Don't hold tightly to your plans. Let go of those plans and trust that God will provide. You know, not only does God provide physically, he also provides emotionally and spiritually. Look at Ruth's response in verse 13. 
She says, then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maid servants. I mean, his words comforted her. His words were kind to her. I mean, imagine, since the death of her husband, when was the last time someone spoke kindly to her? God knows how to provide, not just what you need, not just food. He knows how to provide for every emotional need that you have, every spiritual need that you have. He'll make sure that you get the encouragement that you need when you're tired from taking care of other people. He'll make sure that you get the comfort you need when you've lost someone very close to you. He knows how to provide everything that you need. He will provide. So trust him. Put yourself under his wing and you'll find that he abundantly provides everything. Let's look at verses 14 to 17. The provision continues. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain. And she ate and was satisfied and had some left. When she arose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants, saying, Let her glean among the sheaves, and do not insult her. Also, you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles, and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. You know, so God just keeps providing for her. Boaz invites her to lunch. So this is kind of their first date, right? And he's got a great first line. Hey, why don't you dip your bread in the vinegar over here? You know, so guys, pay attention. If you're single, these are the things you should be uh, studying as you look at this, uh, these verses. Then Boaz serves her, right? I mean, she's the maidservant here, and yet Boaz is serving her. Then she eats... She gets everything that she wants to eat. She's satisfied, and then she has leftovers. So these are like cheesecake factory portions, right? I mean, you've got, you eat this huge full lunch, and then you still have plenty to take home. Then he goes another extra step. I want her to be protected. You don't insult her, right? Twice he commands them, don't insult her, don't rebuke her. In fact, why don't you pull out more grain after you've bundled it and just kind of toss it on the ground for her to make sure that she gets everything that she needs? And this is like, you know, this is not the, the piñata is sort of the thing that I have in my mind, right? So the, the law said, you know, break the piñata, let all the kids run, grab their candy. And if there's anything left, you can give it to these other people. Boaz is basically saying, like, no, 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 You break the piñata, and Ruth gets to run in with you, and she gets to grab all the candy that she wants too, right? She's not going to be left with bit of honey and those candies that nobody wants. She gets to go right along with all these women and just grab and grab and grab as much as she can possibly carry. I mean, what? And then he ensures again, like, that she doesn't get insulted or rebuked. So this isn't just protect her, right? This is don't insult her. Don't rebuke her. Don't make her feel bad for what she has to do. She ha there should be no shame on the part of Ruth doing what she's doing. Again, how do you think foreigners are treated that are begging for food in a land when everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes? It's like, look at these people. Like, they don't have enough. And they would just be insulted and mocked. And he's saying, don't do that. Because she has no reason to be ashamed. She's caring for someone that is in need of care. 
She's doing exactly what anyone should do in her situation. And what are the results? Well, through her continued diligence, she gleans until evening, right? So she got there in the morning. She gleaned all day. She only stopped for a little while. Boaz invites her to lunch, and then as soon as lunch is over, she gleans all evening. And then she has these amazing results. An ephah of barley. Do you know what that means? Neither did I. I had to look it up. So an ephah of barley is about 30 pounds of barley. So how much did God provide in one day of work? 30 pounds of barley, right? I mean, have you ever gone to Costco, right, and you grab those big 25-pound bags of flour? She had more than that. And don't forget, she also had the takeout from at lunch, right, when she got to go home. At 30 pounds of barley would be enough food for two women for a whole month. She went out looking for enough for one day, and she came home with enough for a week. Does God know how to provide for you? when you're seeking first his kingdom? Do you have to worry about anything when you give up your dreams to follow Christ? When you sacrifice your desires to accomplish his purposes, he will provide. He will abundantly provide. You'll have way more than you need. And then lastly, count on his provision exceeding even your wildest expectations. Look at verses 18 to 20. So she's got 30 pounds of barley. Verse 18, she took it up and went into the city. I don't know, I mean, she must be pretty strong carrying 30 pounds of barley. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied, right? So she's putting, here's the 30 pounds of barley that I collected, and here's my leftovers from lunch. And she lays this before her. Her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today? And where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I worked today is Boaz. Again, Ruth has no idea who Boaz is. It's just some guy. That's his name. It's Boaz. That's where I went. But just imagine the scene, right? I mean, Naomi's at home. Ruth went out to glean in fields from a bunch of people that only do what is right in their own eyes. What do you think Naomi's expecting Ruth to come home with? I mean, nothing, right? Maybe a little bit. I mean, maybe, you know, someone was kind and they bought her like the 99 cent tacos from Jack in the Box. And yet, what does she see? Ruth comes dragging home a 30 pound bag of barley and she has the doggy bag from lunch, right? Not a small bag of canned food, but a minivan full of Costco groceries and the doggy bag from lunch. So not only is it way more than she would have expected, it's also they don't even have to cook tonight. We already have prepared food from earlier. It's like Ruth went to Costco and the food court, you know, came home with the pizza and everything that you can eat right now. Nothing even has to go in the oven. And what's Naomi's response? Like, where did you go? Where did you get this? May he who took notice of you be blessed. And then Ruth tells her, the name of the man whose field I went to was Boaz. And I think Naomi probably would have like choked on the churro that she was eating, right? I mean, it's like the soft serve falls off the cone. It's like, wait, what? Who's, whose field did you go to? I mean, imagine Naomi's response. It's like, there's no way. 
I mean, we have like one relative that I, you know, there's a couple relatives, but it's like you just went out gleaning, picked whatever field, you have no idea who, what you even just said. And yet God's orchestrating all of this to provide not only for Ruth, but also for Naomi, and not only food, but also an heir. And what does she say? May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. That's a pretty dramatic turnaround for Naomi, who just one chapter ago was saying, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter, because that's how God has dealt with me. And she says, now she's recognizing God hasn't forgotten her. God's not the enemy. In fact, he's providing for us even when we're in this desperate situation. She recognizes the significance of what is happening, that God's not dealing bitterly with her. She's filling Ruth and Naomi with everything that they need. And then Ruth gets brought in on the secret. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord, verse 20, who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, This man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Then Ruth the Moabite said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. I mean, the Lord will always provide way more than you expect. And again, it's always against what you, I mean, it's, Ruth is described again in verses 21 to 23 as the Moabitess, right? She has no reason to expect this kind of treatment. And yet this is how God is providing. She hears that Boaz is a relative, and I think she gets excited. It's like, hey, he also said this. He also said, you know, make sure that you stay close to my maids and make sure you don't go to another field. Like, I think he kind of likes me. Like, he's taking care of me. Naomi also recognizes that Boaz is protecting Ruth. She knows how vulnerable she is. And again, this is a big turnaround for Naomi, who said, when Ruth was standing right next to her, Naomi said, I have nothing. And now she's concerned about her daughter-in-law. It's her daughter-in-law. How does Naomi address her? My daughter. And so she's turning back. She's turning back to God. She's turning back to others. And we'll see even later on in chapters 3 and 4 that this continues. You know, both of their wheels must be spinning. Like, what could God do through this situation? You know, this is more than we could even imagine. We, I went out looking for food for a day, and now there's an opportunity that we may have an heir to Elimelech. And then look at the results in verse 23. It says, she gleaned through the barley harvest, which is a month. She gleaned also through the wheat harvest, which is another month. And if she gleaned at the rate she did on that first day for two months, she would have gleaned enough food to provide for two women for a year. In two months, she would have had enough food to feed her and Naomi for a 
entire year. Does God know how to provide when you seek first his kingdom? Yes. Can you trust that he'll provide even if you're going through a difficult trouble? Can he provide even if a spouse leaves? If you're a single mom, does he know how to provide for you? If you make a decision to live for him, will he take care of you? Like, absolutely, he will. He'll abundantly provide everything that you need if you seek first his kingdom. So can you trust that his plans and his dreams are better than yours? That God knows how to let, use your life to glorify Christ better than you do? And can you submit to his plans? And if you do, you'll find that he abundantly provides. Look at Mark chapter 10 as we close. Verse 28, Mark chapter 10. What kind of provision can you expect if you follow Christ? Verse 28, Peter began to say to him, Peter talking to Jesus, Behold, look at us, right? We have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. I mean, we might think like, boy, if I, lay, if I just lay my plans and my dreams down, like I'll have to leave everything to follow Jesus. Jesus says, you're going to get back a hundred times, not just in eternal life, right? He's not just saying, you're going to get all this back in eternity. No, he's saying, you're going to get all of it back a hundred times even now. And then you're going to get eternal life after that. That's what Ruth is finding. That when she gave up her dreams to, to follow the Lord, to be his avenue of blessing to Naomi, that he provided for her a hundred times more in this life and in eternal life afterwards. You can trust him. If you give up your dreams for Christ's dreams, you can count on him providing. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for the math that we do in our head. That we think that living for you and sacrificing our dreams is sometimes we don't think it's worth it. Forgive us. Lord, anything that we give up for you, we'll get back a hundred times. In this life, and then we'll enjoy eternal life with you forever. I mean, how can we ever say no to that deal? Why do we cling so tightly to our plans and our desires? Lord, help us to let go of our plans and our dreams. Help us to trust that you're going to provide when we follow you. Help us to seek first your kingdom and trust that you'll provide everything that we need and abundantly more than we need. And Lord, we look forward to it. We look forward to doing that, Lord. When we finally give up our desires and our plans, we find actually that so not only will you provide everything that we need, you'll provide joy and purpose and peace, even in the midst of difficult trials. 
Help us to seek first your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.